welcome to Masters of Divinity. Uh, this is episode 62, and this is the final installment of Music Mayhem. I am your moderator, JP, and with me is Father Chuck. Hey, I, I, I always feel like I do the same thing every week. There's sort of this like breathy, hey. <laughs> you need to creepy. mix it up a little bit. You need to, like, it's uh, creepy. You need to like do, uh, I don't know, like a, like a vocal... A musical thing like that front men do like are you ready to rock or like yeah like <laughs> <laughs> well cool we remember that and you know him as, as father fun uh father patrick funston is in the house uh father hey, fun, hey it's good to have you back man haven't had you on the on the uh on the show in a long time i know i think it was like episode 35 or something it's been a long time you guys have just bold forward without me <laughs> and yeah. and you've had a couple of little things happen in between the last time we've had you on the show yeah he's not so little anymore i have a i have a three-month-old york uh he's he's great oh, um, i just posted a video to facebook today of him of his mom making him laugh and it's it's just the best he's the best he's way he's i mean ernie was always like a happy kid but she was more serious like she had to work for her laughs but york <laughs> just like He'll laugh at anything. He's That's great. Su- you, you guys, such parents. My, my child laughed. I had to get out on video. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's adorable. I saw it. It was adorable. I saw the video. <laughs> uh, I wish I could video myself laughing like that. Maybe I will one day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you guys, are, you guys are doing a great job. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm really liking Music Mayhem, and, um, and I was really happy that you guys chose to talk about uh, Graceland. Uh, and as I was listening, I texted you guys about this, but... It blew my mind that like neither of you had exposure to it because for me it's like it's like one of those seminal like formational albums. Oh really? Um, for me because like it came out in what eighty six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, my my dad must have bought it on tape like pretty early because I remember every car ride that was longer than an hour, we listened to Graceland. Really? Like when we when we would yeah we lived in Las Vegas at the time growing up in and in, in into the early nineties and um like when we would go visit grandparents in Southern California or in Northern Nevada or we would drive up to camp um you know summer camp we were always listening to Graceland and um it's just it's just is a huge it's it's like so ingrained within my sense with my within myself that like as you guys were talking i was like why did i miss this episode i had something to say. i don't i don't have anything specific to say now yeah. but like um it was yeah i mean it's it's one of those albums that like even still like if i'm in a car i feel i feel like this physical need to listen to it um right. yeah and it's and i think it's an important part of like my relationship with my dad and really? you know and it's and it's, it's certainly that album has kind of that father there's like this fatherhood kind of theme in it um or at least yes. in in the title track and um i don't know it's always been important for me and and i've and i always will it'll always be important for for my kids as well the other the other album we used to listen to and i should have made you guys listen to this one is have you ever heard of a guy named taco no no he was this 80s electronica kind of a guy who i he his album is called after eight and it's the most ridiculous like it was kind of a old standards um kind of crooner songs Mm -hmm. but he would do them with this like 80s synth thing going on behind them um so he did like singing in the rain and i can't think of that anyway that that album as well was another one it was always like graceland and tacos after eight and that's (laughs) that's the information i got from my dad what 
That's pretty <laughs> awesome. No, I mean, it's yeah, that's, you gotta try to take that album down and. Um, I'm really glad you. Can. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up, though, uh, Patrick, because um, as I was telling Chuck when we posted that we were going to cover uh, Graceland, like uh, he posted it on Instagram, and that one post on Instagram was the most successful post we've ever made. So apparently, this this, <laughs> this album has touched everybody except me. <laughs> like, so. once once uh we get past our uh disney musicals phase with their knee it will it will be part of our car rotation but right now it's like if we don't listen to frozen and then lion king and then little mermaid and then beauty and the beast we, we have a meltdown so and we do go on car trips that long sometimes that's amazing yeah, can't, oh gosh the the disney musical thing man i mean uh we could do a whole thing about this jp just Mm-hmm. Patrick and I could probably just talk about this because like Charlie is into all that too. Like yeah. I, I went, I have on my, I have on my, on my phone now, I have um, three songs from the little mermaid soundtrack because yeah. Charlie wants to listen to under the sea that. and all that stuff. It's incredible. <laughs> it, it just speaks to the genius of that studio. I mean, and you guys have done your Des- Disney episode, but you didn't talk much about the musical perspective and, and like the, the composition of Alan Menken, like just geniuses that their music is it hits it hits an age group so perfectly it just like we listened to frozen before we even saw the movie and she was obsessed with the album before she even had like characters to put it with yeah i've still never seen frozen really um yeah have never seen frozen um we've gone on the ride at epcot and kana kana's like kana was like hell bit determined to get on that ride because every time we've gone to Disney, it has like a two, three hour wait oh and like getting fast passes is near impossible. So like, so can so we have this Disney app. And so Kana plans vacations for us that we may never take. This is like the funniest thing. Like, like I'll look at the app sometimes and we have like rides booked just like months in <laughs> advance amazing. because she'll just sometimes like just be on the phone and she'll make fast passes. Cause you can make them like three months out. That's funny. And uh, so she plans vacations that we may never take just in case we decide to like up and go on a Monday to Disney or something. So one day she just happened to get a hold of a frozen fast pass for us and was like, we have to go. So we like, you know, we're annual pass holders. And so we went and um, it's 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 basically JP, exactly the maelstrom ride, just frozen characters now. And um Charlie's terrified of it. <laughs> like it's still like, got that every, magic. <laughs> but every time, like every time that we want to go, like every time we go to Epcot, Kane wants to go on the ride. And it's I mean it's fun because it's a maelstrom. You know, it's not the maelstrom because I missed the actual maelstrom, but you know, it scratches that itch. But like it's funny though, because every time Charlie's like, I don't like frozen. I don't like frozen. I don't want to go on frozen. <laughs> that's that's but, anyway. Has he seen that, the movie? No, no, no. Oh, wow. yeah. oh, it's yeah. worth it. You gotta watch it, man. It's a good movie. Okay. Let's I say move, that as a single on. man with no family. <laughs> uh, Matt is not with us tonight, unfortunately. He's doing cow. a live, a live uh, stage performance of Frozen. Actually, he is. <laughs> uh, he's Elsa. He is playing Elsa tonight. And, <laughs> and when we told him that we were going to be doing this this episode, he said that we just needed to let it go. So. <laughs> he's really into it. Really into. He's. he's I, I'm actually proud that he's he's looking into method acting. Okay. Uh, and he's just taking it to next level. Like I, I swear to you guys, I'm saying it right now. Call him right now. Next Daniel Day Lewis, <laughs> Matt Wells. Just keep a look Deputy out. Deputy Matt Wells, next Daniel Day Lewis. All right, yeah, yeah, no, I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. Um. So, in this installment of Music Mayhem. 
uh, Father Fawn, you've got an album for us. And uh, we listened to this album. Uh, which album was that? Uh, it was Who's Next by The Who. Yes, the legendary band The Who. Uh, Father Fawn, why did you choose this album? Um, well, again, it's another important album for me. Um, I would So they say that the music that you listen to when you're like 18 to 20 is the music that like will always stick with you. Like you'll always love it. Even if, even if it gets kind of passe. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's who's next. And just the who more broadly. When I, when I first started buying albums, when I was in early high school, I was into, um, I was into Pink Floyd. And so I, I bought like every Pink Floyd album that I could buy and I would listen to them just constantly. And my love for Pink Floyd um, has stuck with me and it and it created within me this desire to always find and I was always interested in albums as a whole. When, when my generation was much more my generation who referenced uh, was much more into like Napster started getting big around the time when we were in early high school. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you could download individual songs. I was always like, oh, no, it's all about Dark Side of the Moon. Like, it is it is written to be an album. It is its own thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I was into I was into Pink Floyd, and, and, and I, I listened to classic rock all the time, and my dad would always listen to the classic rock station. And I always knew who the Who were, and I always would like their songs when they came on, but then by the time I got my own car and was listening to albums on my own, I remember the first album I bought once I, um, well, the first thing, so I was driving around and I found out that I was really into Neil Diamond and nice. I was really into the who. And awesome. there was one specific song that would come, it would come on. And every time it would come on, I would say, God, this song is so good. I need to I need to figure out you know who this is. I wasn't aware that it was the who at the time, and that song was Behind Blue Eyes, okay. and um, which which I think scratches like that angsty teenager thing. Um, you know, oh, yeah. no one knows what it's like to be the bad man oh, yeah. behind blue eyes. Um, I remember I went to Best Buy, and I and I I think that. I'd heard that it was the who or something. And so I, so I went to Best Buy and I was like, I'm going to find what album this is on. And I'm assuming that this album that it's on is also great because, you know, classic rock albums are, are albums. Right. So I'm just going to buy the whole album instead of just downloading it on Napster. And, um, and I discovered who's, who's next. And it was a, a compilation or it was a, who was who's next. And it was like an anniversary edition of who's next or whatever. And so the album itself, the, the CD was, was gold. Um, and I and I played the hell out of that album, um, and like a, and like a, a gold CD, like yeah, it was a gold, gold? CD. Um, okay. And I remember I just put it on, and like I knew every song already because they were all hits, or they they were all like not. It is probably the Who's best album. Right. Um, it's certainly the one that got the most kind of critical success, um, and it's because it's much more focused than like Tommy. Uh, you know, Tommy is excellent; has some great songs on there, but there's a lot of uh, bloat in there as well. Mm -hmm. But the but the Who's Next is very, um, it's very directed, I guess you could say. And there's only nine songs in the original album, and um, I knew them all and I loved them all instantly. And again, it's another one of those driving albums for me. Um, and so I haven't. I when I graduated from high school, uh, I continued to listen to the Who. I was still getting into the Who. I still listened to Neil Diamond. I had this friend, um, have this friend named Joe Engelman, who we lived together for a time, and we would go to Neil Diamond concerts and we would go to Who concerts whenever <laughs> we could. That's amazing. And 
And so those two, so so our our relationship was really based in this love of those two very different musical acts. Yeah. Um, but I have recently reconnected with Joe, and that's been bringing back kind of my sense of the Who. And um, I, you know, I I go in these waves where I'll like listen to more pop modern music, and I'll listen to classical. I'll kind of go in these waves. But right. I always find that I get really I, I, when I start to feel like I'm getting depressed, mm-hmm. or like things aren't going my way or, you know, um, work is really hard. It's just really wearing on me. I can actually chart that to like the last time I listened to a who album really? um, and specifically the who's next. And so if I, so it actually has this like psychological power over me where if I listen to it again, I just, I get into this place. Um, it is also in Michael's and my relationship. Um, it's a, it's an important album. I introduced the, her to the who through it and the music, the the words on our um, the words on our wedding invitations, which my sister made for us, were um, "Let's get together before we get much older," yeah. and we, which is a line from Bob O'Reilly, the first song on the album. And when we came into our reception um, at our wedding, um, Bob O'Reilly was was the music that was playing when we kind of when we came in. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, it's a great, and I just I just love I just love the album, and I'm excited to hear what you guys think and yeah how it struck you this week as you were listening. Wow. That's, well, I just, that's a, gr- that's a great story. I just want to say, <laughs> I'm so glad we're doing this uh, music mayhem. Uh, Cause I, I liked hearing stories like that and things about music who threw the better show, uh, Neil Diamond or the who. <laughs> so I actually only ever got to see the who live once. So, um, I will answer your question. I will say Neil Diamond throws nice. an incredible show, nice. but I also have seen him like four or five times. And so I can't, say i only have seen the who live one time it was during their endless wire concert in like 08 09 okay and it, so it was only it was the two at that point daltrey and um townsend and we we had my joe's joe's dad bought us they must have been 400 500 tickets right on the floor like yeah, probably no. 10 rows back and it was just incredible wow. laser the laser light show screens everything was was wonderful the thing the, the other thing about the who though that one of the reasons why their music is so implanted in my mind is that after i dropped out of college after my first year i came back and i was working and when i wasn't working i was playing world of warcraft like just constantly like i would always be playing world of warcraft and and i would play world of warcraft and, and the game world of warcraft there are these moments when like you're flying places and you aren't actually like controlling your character and so you have these long stretches where yeah you can look at the screen or you can look at something else. Right. And I had bought, I was really into the who, and I had bought their, I think in 1976, 77 movie, which is called the kids are all right. Um, that has, it's kind of a, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of their history, but it's got a lot of their live performances intercut into it. Um, and I would, I had that, I had that movie on just a constant loop. Like I would play, I would play World of Warcraft on my day off for like fourteen hours straight, and I would just watch the the kids are all right over and over and over and over again. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Chuck, you're gonna say something? Yeah, I was actually it was related to the Who. I just remember uh, to the the concert was uh, you seeing them live, Patrick. Because I remember because um, I'm a as I mentioned before, my favorite band is Guster. Yeah. And I think you saw them live just a few years ago, right? Or no, like it, was, it was when we were in D.C. So I'm That's up, right. Up on U Street, it was it, when it was. Um, what was the album? Not the Amsterdam album, but the other one. Yeah, it was. Um, um, uh, 
Anyway, it was an album yeah. playthrough. Right. And um, so he goes, yeah, I think it was uh, Lost and Gone Forever playthrough. Yeah, that's it. And and you, yeah, you win. I didn't go. I missed out on that. But I remember asking you Michael like, what it was like because I love like I love Guster. I think best for me, best concerts I've ever been to have been Guster shows. I've seen him several times. And I remember the first words out of your mouth were, I can't say it was the best concert I've ever been to because I've seen The Who live. <laughs> it's like, well, yep. you have a bar. There's a different bar. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun, though. I'm not even a fan of Guster, and I have to say, I have that that concert made me a fan. I knew Amsterdam um, just from radio play, but um, Michael was the one who really wanted me to go to that concert, and my sister was a big Guster fan back before they kind of made it big. You know, she was kind of a hipster mm-hmm. in that regard, and. Um, that that concert made me want to listen to more Guster. And again, that's, those are two more albums, Lost and Gone Forever and The Amsterdam. Yeah, Keep It Together. Amazing. Uh, that we listen to regularly all the way through. Again, I've just always been a fan of bands who put together well-constructed, well-paced albums. Like concept yeah. albums. You're into... Like not even not even concept albums. Yeah. Just like there's some thought put into how this album is constructed, okay. and it's paced. Right. It doesn't. The, the you know the, they don't have to be related to each other or to tell a co- coherent story at all. It's just they're thoughtful. It's not just a string of hits just for the right. sake of. Well, and I think that that's that's a, that's a thing that we're losing. I know JP, you mentioned this a couple weeks ago that like when we listen to, um, it's actually when we talking about Graceland. You were saying that like you know we don't listen to music like this anymore because it's so piecemeal anymore. It's all geared around singles and downloading the singles. So that like you know, and that was a criticism before streaming and, and downloading became a thing because um, you know people would like spend you know fifteen bucks for an album because they heard one single on the radio and the rest of the album was complete garbage. It was just it was just filler. Um, I mean, I think of like Jewel, Jewel's Pieces of You. I bought it. I bought it for a dollar at a at a thrift store um, a couple of years back, and um, I was like, you know, I, I really like I really like um, all three of Jewel's singles off that album. I might as well get it and listen to the thing. And I realized like those three singles are the only thing worth anything on the on that album. I mean, it's just you know, and just that's kind yeah. of the the world we had lived with. And so that's why it's been. I will say it's one of the things I think has been kind of cool about this whole Music Mayhem project for us has been to listen to entire albums. And I think we've picked albums where all of them have had like worthwhile oh, yeah. stuff to listen to. We've not, you know, it would have been funny if one of us picked just like a garbage album for the sake of having <laughs> a garbage album to talk about. But, um, but I think like it's it's been good to get back to the concept of an album, right? And how important and rare that is. And I think it's also interesting that like you know most of the things we we, we kind of have like a an album from each decade. Mm. You know, we have the, I mean, I guess Let It Be was released in 1970, was recorded in the 60s. Right. right. So you have Let It Be from the 60s. We have this album, Who's Next from the 70s, Graceland from the 80s, and Dookie from the 90s. Yeah. All pretty seminal albums in each decade. And uh, you're right. I mean, listening to it just as albums has been, I don't listen to music like that anymore. Like, I can't remember the last time I just listened to an album. Um, it makes me. It actually makes me want to buy like a like a like a record player and keep it somewhere where I like in my office or something where I can just like listen to it like an entire LP now. I'm like, surprised you don't have one already. <laughs> yeah, the fact that you don't. Uh, yeah, I'm interesting. That's the kind of hipster I am, Patrick. It's because all the other hipsters have them, so I don't have one because I have to out hipster the hipsters. No, he has a CD changer. That's the kind of hipster he is. <laughs> what did you guys think? 
And what is what? What is your relationship with the album prior to this week? I have to be honest with you, Father Fun. Um, I am not that familiar with the Who. Uh, I know about uh, Behind Blue Eyes, and um, I just found out this week that my my favorite song on this album is not called Teenage Wasteland. It's called Bob O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's what we're dealing with, okay? <laughs> um, and I, I, I really liked it. I loved it. I, I, I found a lot of great songs in here that I, I really like. I narrowed it down to pretty small because I try to have just like a few. So I'm not like talking about each individual song for the entire freaking episode because I'll do that. I almost did that with Dookie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Bob O'Reilly is genius. Uh, I love the ARP uh <laughs> synthesizers that that uh who was it, it was it was it was Pete, Pete Townsend. Townsend right Pete Townsend's rocking out on um and of course the um uh the the, the violin solo at the end mm-hmm. uh beautiful and, and and not just speaking of solos this is an album of solos yeah totally uh and, and I think that's I mean it's it's probably because of its time and maybe because that's also the nature of the band, like they're really into solos, like right? Is that was that kind of their thing? Like just start shredding. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So and um, <laughs> that's one thing I was kind of really miss. When I when I think of a solo, I always think of like metal. You know, they get really into the metal solos. It's like a big thing of metal. Um, so it was interesting hearing that and just like a, like a pure rock album. Yeah. Um, I was really surprised at how modern it sounded mm. like it, it sounded like something that was made well i guess i'm kind of dating myself as saying if i say the 80s sounds modern <laughs> but like it doesn't sound like something made 19 in 1970 you know what i mean it made sounds like something was made like 20 years later to me yeah and to me that that's always like a, it's a huge sign of like great artistry when something sounds like way looks or or sounds or feels way ahead of its time it totally feels that way and i read this i read this <laughs> review i sent it to you guys uh from rolling stone from someone who reviewed it in 1971 john mendelson john rolling stone reviewed it in 1971 took me a few times to read it because um like like chuck mentioned he might be on drugs <laughs> um he, he might be i don't know uh but one thing i that stuck out to me the most about the album is that he kept saying that this is like like the Who was grown up, basically, right? Like yeah. they've, they've, this is like their first album that that's kind of proved that they have matured as a band and they're not relying on gimmicks. And so it's interesting to kind of come into the Who with this album because I don't really have much uh, the same kind of context, you know. <laughs> but Mendelssohn also says in that review that this is sort of like a distill. Like this is like a distillation of the Who. Like this album sort of captures their essence. Yeah. So I think it like I think that it, it, it it's a it's it, it's a good introductory album too. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, I, I, there's a there's a documentary and there's this film series called the Classic Albums series that looks at different rock albums mostly and talks about their history and their development and then there's one on the on who's next that I own and I watch pretty regularly. Nice. And one of the things that one of their um, critics says in that, in that the, one of the talking heads is that this is the who at the peak of their powers. Like this is like, they've like, they crest. They, I would say they still get better. You know, like you can go into like, who's next right before Keith moon die or not. Who's next. Um, who are you? Some of the songs on who are you are like better 
individual songs, I would say. Yeah. But like this is, you know, he says like Roger Daltrey is singing at the, the, the he's finally kind of reached and figured out how he, he is a rock singer. And and Townsend has, has, has figured out how he can be um, the, the great soloist that they need. And 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 Entwistle, the bassist, his his bass work, especially on like like on uh, Won't Get Fooled Again, where it's just like. Like he's a lead guitarist who plays bass. Like he's just shredding that thing, and he plays a fretless bass, so he's going all over the place. It's awesome. And then of course, and Keith Moon is just you know animal from the um, from uh, the Muppets. Uh, from the Muppets. The Muppets is based on is based on Keith Moon. Like oh really? He all, like that's how he that's how he played. Like if you ever seen the videos of him, he's just going like he's going crazy. So well, I feel yeah. like yeah. Yeah, it is. I, that, and that's another thing I kind of noticed about Keith. Like, I, this is sort of my introduction to, to Keith Moon as well. Like, when he hits those beats, like, it's like an explosion every time he hits the drums. Like, especially like in Bob Rowe, that dun, 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 like he's doing it with it. It's, it's incredible. It's like fireworks. Um, uh, some of the songs liked, uh, I like Bob O'Reilly. Um, Bargain was a really great song that I really loved. Um, I've heard it before, but like, you know, like at a bar or something, you know, not like in this sort of way of just sort of have to pay attention. Um, the way it kind of transitions from like this kind of really cool hard rock song to a much slower song. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always fascinated by that. We talk a lot about that and, and how Green Day does that and do and a couple of tracks of Dookie and then, uh, yeah, Jesus of Suburbia and stuff like that. I, I'm a sucker for that. Um, and I, and, 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 and that's also, that's two that's both vocalists singing as well you know so like roger daltrey is the one who really is is doing the powerful rock um with such a great that's such a great line i'd gladly lose me to find you let's like that's like so (laughs) there's so many these are all great love songs as well which is one of the things that i love about this album oh yeah but then when but then when it at the end when it switches to Pete Townsend saying I sit looking around look at my face in the mirror that's that's Pete Townsend singing who's got a much sweeter um kind of tenor voice than the kind of power ballad um Daltrey singing right yeah i like that this lyric that i'd i'd pay any price just to win you surrender my good life for bad to find you i'm going to drown an unsung man mm-hmm. that's love man um <laughs> call that a bargain and of course you know the the, the the, the harder songs are really complemented by these uh, slower, more melodic uh, fare, like The Song Is Over, which is, you know, of course, legendary. Um, very beautiful song. Um, I actually think it might be my favorite song on the album. Um, <laughs> which is usually, because I usually go for, like, the, like the hard rock stuff. Like, that's who I am. But, like, this slower song, I really... I listen to it a lot, actually. Uh, and then, of course, Behind Blue Eyes. My introduction was through Fred Durst. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> with his cover he did back in the early two th- in the mid 2000s i mean i i knew it was a cover okay i'm not gonna say i didn't know oh, i just thought i thought it was a limp biscuit song no i'm not i'm not i'm not <laughs> What's the that- who doing covering fred durst <laughs> <laughs> i'm not i'm not that illiterate okay uh i knew that when when i liked the song back then but i never really like just sat down and listened to behind blue eyes by the who and um it, it does make me think of a couple of things, both Fred Durst and uh, the time when Anthony Stewart had, as Giles, played Behind Blue Eyes on an episode of Buffy. Um, mm. That was one of my favorite episodes. Won't Get Fooled Again. It's timeless. <laughs> CSI Miami, right? It's, yeah, yeah that's... Well, every, every CSI is started by a Who song, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, all the major CSIs are, yeah, have, have something... 
Well, mm-hmm. and that's and that's another thing I wanted to kind of bring out. We we touched on this a little bit in a previous episode, but like, you know, most of my familiarity with these songs and the songs in this album, um, comes from like, yeah, like like CSI, like a CSI opening or like a commercial, right. um, and it's it's kind of it's really frustrating because. One of the reasons why, like, I didn't just listen to this album once. I listened to it a few times. And one of the reasons why I listened to it a few times is because I need to deprogram, like, the visuals that, like, a marketing company used <laughs> to get me to buy their mm. product. So it's like I had to separate the song from the product that they're trying to sell. Like, and I actually recommend it for any other listener, young listeners out there who like a song because they heard it on a commercial. Listen to it a few times without the commercial because so you, you need to deprogram yourself. Um it's it's like it's why I can't stand that song. That's what I like about you. Yeah, exactly. I, I can't because oh, I because, know because we both grew up in Orlando. <laughs> yes, you're gonna do exactly what I'm thinking, right? Right? Yes. Sea yes, World. Sea <laughs> uh, and, and Lust for Life. Yeah, they they played on the so Patrick they played on Sea World commercials in Orlando and like yeah. um, JP. I'm so glad we're bonding. I, I <laughs> ah I, every morning I would wake up. Um, the, the way my mom would make, wake me up in high school is she'd walk in my room and she'd turn on my television and my TV was always set to Good Morning America. I woke up to Good Morning America every day and about the same time every morning, that stupid commercial would come on. So I have to wake <laughs> up to, it's what I like about you. Like, with like Shamu jumping and eating people or whatever <laughs> is going on. But it, it's uh, but yeah, so like I can't listen to that song because it, I associate it with that with that awful commercial from you know five in the morning or whatever when I was had to get up to go yeah. to friggin' school or like Love Train and Burger King like that song is ruined for me for life because of Burger King, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying like you know I, I feel like the Who is because there's such it happens to all these legendary bands especially the classic from seventies and sixties and stuff you use for a lot of commercialization reasons and it's like I have to deprogram myself. Because I've never listened, I've never just heard this stuff over the radio, just or just sat down and listened to it or go to a concert and just like rock out to it. I have to deprogram myself, and, and I think it's really sad that you know in t- today's world, uh, because the music industry is so screwed up. If you are new to the music scene, like you're, you're going to be praying that your song gets used for a commercial because that's like we get paid or take a break. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it the attitude's completely changed, and this is totally like an off-topic tangent, but I'm just saying like that's why. So that's kind of my familiar day with the, with the album, and like I had to deprogram myself in order to enjoy it. But having said that, "Won't Get Fooled Again" is a great freaking song. Yeah, oh, I, have oh. a, I have a friend uh, who I used to do youth ministry with. He used to be the youth ministry guy for the Diocese of Kansas, and yeah. and he talked about how, in his opinion, the scream at the end um, when Roger Daltrey just goes, "Yeah!" is yeah. the is the greatest moment in rock and roll. Like that's a, that's a moment when like. That's like the cry, the cry of the gener- of the of the generation um, of the 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 hippies, kind of like realizing that their experiment isn't working, and <laughs> music just morphs into this whole different thing. Well, they're screaming like, because they're having kids got now. Disco. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and what's funny, you talk about images. I was talking about watching the movie uh, "The Kids Are All Right," which I would totally recommend you guys to watch. I don't know if it's on Netflix or not, but. The last the, the, at the end of that movie, they play "Won't Get Fooled Again," and it's an image of this live show that they did, and 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 it's it's just them live performing. And at that moment, Pete Townsend jumps into the air, like still playing, like jumps into the air and like 
flies through the air like at the camera with his knees with his feet up under and his knees are like diving in and he slides across the stage power slide while 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 is going yeah <laughs> yeah i just i just realized all right so going back to the trajectory of the albums we've listened to we listened to let it be which is the beatles and that's like that's the hippie generation yeah. now we've got this song where you said this is when like the this moment is when they sort of realize their experiment is failing yeah they're kind of coming to terms with this when you listen to Graceland, because that's like the mm. whole thing about like, you know, you are the burden of my generation talking about the kids. And then we get to Dookie, which is those kids <laughs> like poured yeah. out of their minds and just making an album that makes me want to take a shower after I listen to it. <laughs> um, that's that's just, genius. I love we've made this narrative. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> an album of albums. Yeah. <laughs> that's so fun. Um, can I just like. And I'm I'm still kind of I'm kind of done talking about the my the songs like, but can I just like read this paragraph from this from this review for our listeners yeah. so they can experience <laughs> what we experienced? Um, it doesn't really have much to do with what I just said, but like this paragraph is so it's just bonkers. Um, it says if instead of a heavy loving, barbiturated kid who discovered in the wake of all the jumping and jiving that accompanied the release of their last two albums that the Who resemble. Led Zeppelin and so on, on a gross aural level, and must therefore be far out. It's an age-long admirer of theirs. You are. You'll doubtless have noticed that the Who's stage act, snazzy as it remains, has toned down subtly over the last couple of tours. Um, I don't know. Guys on drugs. Uh, yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> I had to read that a few times. I was, I, when I was reading this, I'm like, it's just, this is a review from 1971, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is like the people that are in Almost Famous, like they're just <laughs> yeah. like, because I was like, like, did Hunter S. Thompson write this? Like, I was trying to figure out like <laughs> who that was, because it's just like there's clearly some acid or something going on. So those are my initial thoughts on the album, uh, Chuck. So after after Patrick announced it last week, I got home after recording um, the Guardians episode we did last week, and I downloaded the album because I didn't own it. Um, and I'll tell you, I, I'm sort of middle ground here. Like, I've known about The Who, but I've never, like, really delved into The Who. I've known them mostly through radio and sort of tangential things. Um, Keelan was much more of a Who person than I was. Um, and I've always liked what I've listened to, but I just never... So this was an opportunity for me to actually finally bite the bullet and, and, and listen to a full album by The Who. Now, I will say that coming into that, my I love Bob O'Reilly. I love that song a lot. Um, I mean, my first memory of that song um, is the um, is the um, American Beauty trailer because it played in that trailer, and oh. I was like just mesmerized by the by the synthesizer um, sequence in the beginning of the song. And, and on top of that, MXPX used to play it as their opening number for their concerts, um, mm -hmm. which is a Christian punk band for those who don't know who they are. Um, and so I downloaded the album and I sat down. And I was like, oh, Bob O'Reilly's on this. So I sat down, I listened, and like, God, what what an incredible opener for the album. Like, the, 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 I have to say, Patrick, the hardest thing with me for Who's Next was just not repeating Bob O'Reilly. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm just like, out the gate, this is your song. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. this is, this is like, like, what an amazing, unparalleled way to open an album. Like I think I, I think I messaged you and I, I think I messaged you, Patrick, and said, "Is like I could probably spend like half this episode talking about just Bob O'Reilly." Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't on the message. <laughs> I was like, "What? No." <laughs> but like, but yeah, I just yes. But yeah, I was I was 
I, I just it, it just listening to it, I was just like, I sat back. Actually, I repeated it. I had to listen to it twice through. Yeah. Um, and then kind of hear the whole context of the album. Um, I, you know, it was, you know, and, and as we mentioned, some of the songs are a little more ballady. They're a little slower. So it wasn't, you know, it was, it, there was it's, initially it was a little bit like, okay, I have to listen to this. I have to listen to this. Um, and I was actually like tempted to skip um, the song ends. The song is over. The song, the song is, is over. over. Thank you. Sorry. Wow. Um, I was like tempted to skip that song. And like right when I was about to skip it is when it like kicked into its first like kind of like, you know, more bombastic moment. I was like, that the song blows me away. So like, I'm with you, Jimmy. I think that actually might be as much as I love Bob Riley. It might be my favorite song on the album. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, just you know, but like listening to the synthesizer, the synthesizer stuff that he's that's going that Pete Townsend introduced at the time. I mean, that's really super revolutionary. Um, you know, the Beatles had used um, had used a synthesizer in Maxwell Silverhammer, um, and I know other people were using it, but it just seemed very revolutionary to me. Um, the other thing I realized listening to this is that the Who is pure rock. Like they they really they really are a pure rock and roll band. Yeah, absolutely. They're not trying to do anything else but be a rock band, and. Of course, I did some research, and Patrick hollered at me for doing some research because I was learning about Lifehouse, and he, he he didn't want me to spoil his knowledge. <laughs> you can talk about it totally. Um, <laughs> but like reading up on reading up, well, particularly Bob O'Reilly, just reading up about like you know the two that 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 the the song's name comes from two religious religious a religious and music philosopher, and like realizing how crazy smart Pete Townsend is, how deep the man is, and how he seems to really see rock music as a spiritual thing. It's not like, oh, this is the genre of music I'm just working in. Like he mm-hmm. sees it as like a as like an actual totality. And like and that rock music itself can like kind of save the world. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. I mean, and it that's the thing that just like like reading about him and then listening to this, it's just you can like you can feel that in the whole album. Mm-hmm. That there's something like going on at a much deeper level that it's not just like Oh, we're four dudes making a making a making a rock album. Like there is a there they are. This is like and like you're talking about like Mm -hmm. Keith Moon and his drumming. Like he's putting his whole being into that. Yeah. Um, Pete Townsend is putting his entire daltry. I mean, it's just every one of them are bringing their A game to the entire album, and it is like absolutely a pretty transcendent experience to listen to the whole thing. And it's like it's hard for me, like even just to talk about. Yeah, I mean, they're like. I mean, I would just be repeating JP talking about the songs because, like, the ones that you reference are the ones that I like too. Yeah. Um, but like listening to like "Won't Get Fooled Again," you know, I'm listening to it and I'm part of me is chuckling because I'm like, oh yeah, I can't imagine the guy making the puns and putting the sunglasses on <laughs> at the beginning of CSI Miami. But like, but I'm listening. But like, my first listen to that song blew that out of the way. Like, I was like, God, like, I just hate that this song got impoverished by <laughs> by being included in that show. Um, <laughs> because. Cruz, so. Because God, it's such a—I mean, just I again, just I—I—I—I I, I, I actually lack the words to 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 talk about that, like my feelings on listening to this thing. So, um, so thank you, Patrick, for for making me do this. Um, mm-hmm. And I think JP, when you were talking earlier about how to you it sounds like it sounded like an album twenty years, yeah, you know, like like a, like a, like in the future. Um, I think part of that is due to the fact of how many contemporary rock bands are going back to what they were doing back then and just trying to ape what they're doing. Yeah. I think of a band like The Strokes. 
and sort of like that raw rock sound that was kind of happening in the early 2000s. And I realized they're just trying to do what The Who was doing in 1971. Oh, that whole rock revival scene? Yeah. yeah. It's, just, it's just aping what had already come before. And, um, and so, anyway, but yeah, so I think the whole thing is great. And I'm, I'm still completely blown away by Bob O'Reilly. I think the song is incredible. Yeah, um, I want to go back to the the spirituality kind of aspect of it, and okay. um, you know, you mentioned this Lifehouse idea, um, mm-hmm. which was this thing that um, so Tommy was the album that preceded Who's Next um, in in 1969, right? And um, and Tommy is a is the first of the, of of what came to be known as the rock opera, and was a um, is it true you that know, you, have story... a, you have to light a candle and then listen to Tommy, right? I don't know about that. That's from what's almost, that, what's, is that a thing? That's from Almost that's from Famous. famous. <laughs> oh, okay. Got it. I've seen it a couple times. Um, that, that, and it was so, it was so kind of mind blowing that you could tell a continuous story that way. You know, this is all, and so this is like before Pink Floyd did like The Wall, you know, and told over two, oh. two records. Yeah an entire story that had that had a beginning, middle, and end. And so Tommy was the first time that, that we take rock music and we can tell a story that you would normally tell in an opera. Huge critical success. You know, they play a lot of the songs when they in their um, their Woodstock set, when they played at Woodstock. They record a live album called Live at Leeds, which is a lot of music from from Tommy. And 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 and, and um Townsend is trying to figure out what his follow-up is going to be, and so he has this idea for this um, another kind of rock opera type thing called Lifehouse, that's going to be about um, this kind of near future in which people are living this wasted life, which is where the teenage wasteland idea comes from, from Baba O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. They're living a wasted life, like <laughs> surrounded, kind of living within like these these suits, and all of their experiences are given to them spoon-fed to them through these suits and then this kind of messianic figure appears and brings rock and roll music to them and they are saved through the power of rock and roll and and he wanted to do he wanted to do this really high concept thing where they would actually record the album in front of a live studio audience and there would be this like kind of commune that would build up over the course of like five to seven days as they were like in this theater with these with this audience and they would like figure out how these songs need to be played and it was it was all this it was like it was way too much really and i was watching this interview with roger daltrey um from probably the 90s and he was looking back on on who's next and the story before it and he was like you know Pete Townsend was always like way smarter than any of us and always had these really grand spiritual ideas. Um, and a lot of us just didn't get it. And we would go along with him because we trusted him and we trusted his leadership and he, you know, he knew what he was doing. But I remember looking through kind of all of the script that he had written and the lyrics and, and a lot of it was over my head, but there was one thing that always stood out to me. And that was that if there, if we ever figure out what the meaning of life is, it's we we discover that it's actually just this note and that's where like at the end of the song is over when um when it comes in and it's it's and the song the song is over is over and there's and and it's trailing off and then you hear this kind of voice in the background saying accepting one note pure and easy playing so free like a breath rippling by Uh that's actually a line from 
another song that if you get the extended album, it's called Pure and Easy, which was another song from Lifehouse, which is about the note as eternal. The lines are um, the note is eternal. I hear it. It sees me uh, forever. We blend in and forever we die. That idea that like this note, this meaning of life is like it's like 42, right? It's in everything. And yeah. when we. I mean, he's, it's Eastern mysticism, like the idea that you, you, you are always kind of orbiting around and going into and out of this constant, which I think is beautiful. Yeah, and that's, uh, and if, if I'm not mistaken, from what I've read, that comes from Meher Baba, who is the Baba of Baba O'Reilly. So mm-hmm. that's from Meher Baba's um, philosophy. Is this very eccentric um, Eastern mystic guy who um, didn't speak for like thirty years or something. I mean, he just stopped okay. speaking until the like, day he died. Anyway. But that, and that's also, I mean, it's rooted in a Hindu concept that, you know, so if you listen to a, a sitar being played in Indian music, you'll always hear like a constant note. In Indian music, there's always a constant note. I remember this is something I learned um, taking an Asian humanities class in college um, at Valencia. This is one of the best things I ever learned at Valencia. Um, the, Hindi, the, the Indian musical paradigm has this constant note playing in the background of, of the music because that's meant to represent the Atman of music or the, our God being present in the music. And so it's a constant note. And Meher Baba kind of had this idea that all of humanity might be able to sort of like harmonize into one note and thereby find some kind of transcendence or whatever. And I guess that's sort of what Pete Townsend's tapping in when he's trying to do his life house thing. He's actually going to try to make that happen at this theater in England. Right. And like, like just crazy, but like, like just an odd, there's no one like Pete Townsend today. Like, I mean, other than Pete Townsend, obviously, but like, it's just an audacious thing in music to think that like, we're going to try this. We're going to try to do this thing where we're going to get everyone to harmonize into one note. And that's going to somehow like harmonize the world. That's crazy. So was this supposed to be like a really huge theater? Or was just like kind of like a small intimate setting? It's a theater that's still in operation today. It's called the Old Vic, um, and I think it's in London somewhere. And um, and it's like a I don't know, I, I, was, I was I was thinking back to theaters that we would have experienced together, um, which would never have happened. But I, my my sense is <laughs> my sense is that it's like an opera house kind of a setup. You know, like it's just a normal like a theater. You know, maybe, maybe with a balcony. So like you mentioned, Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, did I mean were were they were, was Pink Floyd inspired by the Who to do their concept album? Or like... I, I'm, I can't I can't say anything related to that. My, I think that I'd have to look up the dates, especially. But I've never seen any. I've never seen them credit each other or um, anything. But but um, Roger Waters um, has traveled in recent years actually with um, Townsend, and they've actually done concerts together. Oh, nice. Um, some kind of, some political type concerts as well. Yeah. So there's certainly a relationship there. You know, if we're going to talk about if we're going to talk about relationships, though, one of the things we have to talk about is the relationship between Zeppelin and the Who, because oh, yeah. they're they're both they're both kind of. This is one of those th- those descriptions that I've always kind of brushed up against, but it's so true, is that Zeppelin was kind of the acid side of this like rock movement of the early '70s, and and um, and so. You had two. What I've heard is that you know, if you grew up in high school in the late '60s and, and '70s, that, that that the kind of like stoner kid, kind of former hippies, kind of hippies, were all into Zeppelin, okay. and the jocks were the ones who were really into the Who. Really, um, that the Who was like a like a guys band. Like they even there there are even interviews where the Who talk about how 
like they would go to their concerts like from the early, from, from the very early like my generation very beginning yeah um and they would look out and it was all just guys that they were playing to and they would lie to themselves and say that the women were all in the back you know yeah but like they were tapping into this like m- like male aggression maybe even like male power fantasy which is where you know the who was famous for at the end of every set they would smash their guitars they would smash their amps they would just destroy everything um and they end up toning that which is which that review you talked about um mentions a little bit they tone that down uh, but it's always been kind of part of their kind of part of their thing is that they're about and that's that's one of the reasons why the who are considered by some it's pure rock right i totally agree but they're also considered by some to be the first punk band because um, because of that, because of that thrust of like that aggressiveness, yeah, that is in there. That is in there. Right. That's interesting. So they were they they were like their first ones, to like kind of destroy a band, like destroy a stage once they're done performing. Or oh what? yeah, that was their that was their thing. In fact, Pete Townsend is actually um, deaf in his left ear. Yeah. Because <laughs> yes. they were on the um, they were on the Smothers Brothers show um, playing My Generation. So this would have been back in the mid '60s. And they had planned that they would destroy their stuff because that's what they did. Yeah. Um, but, but 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 Keith Moon put a bomb in his in his base. <laughs> what? Um, and and or, or they knew that they were going to blow up the base somehow, right? But then Keith Moon added more like explosives to it. <laughs> so and there's actually a video of this. So they're like smashing their stuff, and then the bomb goes off, and and, and Townsend is actually like smashing his guitar right next to the base when it go or right next to the base when it explodes and it, he was so close to the, to the concussive blast that it it actually like he lost his hearing in his in his left ear oh my gosh uh, that yeah. must have been an awkward band meeting the next time <laughs> <laughs> also pete townsend um invented the helicopter strum uh, okay yo that's that's all townsend that's amazing and uh, and daltry is the first guy you see um swinging his his mind um, and like doing full like 360s and around the worlds with his microphone. So yeah, that's cool. Uh, the Who and Led Zeppelin. Actually, like when I think of it, I think I, 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 I kind of get that. Like I actually, after listening to the album, I could say I think I, I like the Who more than Led Zeppelin. I've tried to get in, I've tried to get into Led Zeppelin for years. It's taken can't me years to try to get into it. I'm like I can't do it. <laughs> I can't. I, I love Zeppelin too. I, 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 I can't. Can, I can hold both of them. I can't get the lead out, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Four is not bad. Four is not a bad album, but it's good music. Don't get me wrong; it's good music, but it's like I can't be like, oh yeah, you know. I, I don't know. I, I can't. I can't get excited. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, there's a few songs I love, like Ramble On and like, like Moby Dick and Tangerine and stuff like that. But yeah, I've just never An immigrant song. Like that's oh, one of the yeah. reasons why I'm so excited for Thor Ragnarok. Like, <laughs> that's a it's a perfect trailer. Yeah. It really is a perfect it's about, trailer. It's about Vikings, like finding new land, and oh my gosh, just just brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about the Who, though. Yeah, let's talk about the Who. Um, well, is there are there any other songs, uh, Patrick, that that uh, you know besides Bubba O'Reilly that sort of uh, really impact you that you have more to, to talk about to, that you have a strong opinions over? Yeah, sure. I mean, I could talk about all these over and over again. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about Behind Blue Eyes, um, made famous yeah. by Fred Durst. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love that song, and 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 it's you know the 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 song that brought me to this album, and so obviously it'll always be important to me. Um, 
but one of the one of the cool things about it is um, when Townsend when Townsend talks about it, he talks about how, you know, as the when you're the lyricist but you aren't the vocalist, mm-hmm. your work is interpreted kind of apart from you, right? I mean, he's the he's the lyricist and the guitar player, but he's not the one who sings the the, the words. And he says that he wrote that song, and, and behind the blue eyes was actually like the villain's song in the Lifehouse concept. Oh, really? And um, and when when Roger Daltrey he talks about how when when Roger Daltrey sings it, um, you know when it starts to really break down and get down where he says, you know, if my if my when my fist clenches, crack it open before I use it and lose my cool. When I smile, tell me some bad news before I laugh and act like the fool. Yeah. Like he's it's 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 at the moment when the song is getting really aggressive and he's starting to talk about like, you know, Roger Daltrey grew up um, in in this. Um, suburb of, of London called Shepherd's Bush, um, which was a working class town. And he was always like a working class guy. And he talks about how he would have to like when he read the lyrics of this song, it was for him. It was about growing up and about realizing that like it, like when he became an adult, he couldn't use his fists to solve things anymore. That there was actually like like it's like a, so when when Daltrey sings it, you can hear him. It's almost like a prayer that he's offering. Um where he's saying like, like I I learned he see he says that when he actually when he became part of the Who, he had to learn how to speak with his words instead of speak with his fists, which was how he grew up and how he survived as this beautiful blonde boy, um, in uh, in Shepherd's Bush, um, England. But Daltrey, um, or sorry, but but Townsend when he when he wrote it, it was much more about um, it was it was this this smoother thing. It wasn't about fighting. It was about um, um, kind of the waste of his the waste of his life, and it was much more of like a spiritual dimension for him. And so it was about kind of tenoring himself to be more about um, the things of of the of the other world, I guess you could say, or the things of the spiritual world rather than the sp- things of the um, of the present world. And so you you actually hear like there's some there's some acoustic versions of Behind Blue Eyes with Townsend singing the whole thing yeah. from his like solo work. And it's it's a, like a completely different song because he sings it slower, he sings it acoustically, he sings it from this heart place that isn't about aggression. It's about it's about this the physicality of um, life. Like I guess drowning in that. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm sounding like I wrote a review in 1971, <laughs> but <laughs> oh, way to go, John Mendelssohn. Okay, I think I think that that's something interesting about the Who as a band is this idea of. The, the 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 lyricist the genius behind the lyrics is not the one who gets to ultimately interpret them for us and it, and it colors how we hear the music I just, I just think that's really interesting yeah it makes me think of um i saw years ago i can't remember what it was now but um it was i was introduced to what i think might be my favorite who song i don't well, i don't know but it's, a, it's definitely up there is um a real good looking boy um and mm-hmm. I watched, I saw something on TV where Pete Townsend was talking about that song and then, and, and talking about, but this specific thing, this specific thing about how like he, you know, he's got this great partner in Roger Daltrey who interprets his words. And he's, he talks about how he interprets it in ways that, you know, he didn't necessarily intend when he wrote it. And it always surprised him how to take on a different life and all this other stuff. And then he played real good looking boy, which is which is uh, an interesting song because it's super personal for, for Pete Townsend. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes on a different dimension when it's Roger Daltrey. So I, I, I'm, I'm just adding to your 
to your thing about this. I think you know it's it's an it is an interesting thing and not something that we see very much in 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 rock music or music in general. Um, I mean, I guess I should say music in general because in a lot of pop music, people are singing someone else's songs, but but it's like within it's the band. But, but that, yeah, yeah, but within the band, yeah, yeah, yeah. that is interesting. Um, <laughs> quick aside, I meant to ask this while we were talking about. Um, won't get fooled again or we won't get fooled again um the lyrics uh, meet the new boss same as the old boss when you first brought it up as i said it's timeless because it's it's the store it's like it's like this is a song this is like the political rock anthem of the who right and okay. it's and it's basically it's basically uh-huh. like that's how i hear it is like you we we go into the streets we do these revolutions again this is like you know hippie them crashing down right, right, right. like the like like um Vietnam is still happening, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's about you know we go we go into these streets and we fight and and we and we and we end up winning, right? And I'm gonna and I'm gonna throw everything I have behind this new constitution, behind this revolution. But then once we put somebody into power, power corrupts and they become exactly the same thing as we just, or a different shade of what we just tried to resolve what, what like we, the end of the hunger games yeah, yeah i mean but but then but then it's about like i'm doing this right but then ultimately i'm realizing the mistake that i've made and realized you know getting back to our earlier thing um pick up my guitar and play just like yesterday and then i get on my knees and pray right it's like that 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 the way that we get out of this cyclical power situation yeah. is through is through music Paul Simon was saying with Graceland about the idea of like whenever there's massive power changes between the left or the right, it's always guys guitars get screwed. And sort of what he was trying to do is you know music is what's gonna music is the thing that we need to do to deal with this. It makes me Patrick, as you're talking about, maybe it just makes me think of a um a, a song I really like that deals with the same kind of concept is um Pedro the Lion. Um um do you realize the Page of the Lion? Mm-hmm. Pedro Lyon is um, the guy who he's it's it's one guy he's named David Bazan who's now doing solo work. Um, he's an evangelical Christian musician who's sort of left the church and left all this stuff. Anyway, he's and he's been very kind of his transition away from belief has been cataloged in his music. But he's got this yeah. great song on his last album as Pedro the Lion, where he talks about um, how like. He's, he's talking about a revolutionary. He's fought his whole life. He says, we fought our whole life for equality. We fought our whole life. You know, the factories are working. Everyone's happy. Everyone's making all the money. My kids, everyone's, you know, everything's great. We're in a utopian society. And he ends by saying, he ends the song by saying, so then why am I, he says, um, so why am I sitting alone in my bedroom with a shotgun? Mm. Um, it's that idea of like, you know, like we've worked so hard to achieve this thing. And now that we've achieved it, we've defined our lives by that struggle. And now that the struggle is over, how do you live? How do you survive? Um, and so anyway, yeah, it just made me think it is a random aside. Oh, that's great. Um, <laughs> it's funny. You're, you're Music talk- mayhem. You're, you're talking about this, um, you know, sort of the politicalness of these songs and, and, you know, we're talking about high blue eyes and how it's about like him growing up in this really rough area and, he has to be like a bad person and no one knows what it's like to be that way. And then I'm, I'm just like, mm-hmm. I'm just imagining Donald Trump, like sitting, <laughs> sitting in the oval office, like his head back, listening to behind blue eyes and the, on the white house speakers, but it's like the Fred Durst version. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. You know, I, they don't know what it's like. I don't, 
I don't think Trump listens to music. I can't imagine him <laughs> listening to music. Like, I'm serious. Like, I do, do like, I think about that. I, I legitimately think about this kind of stuff from time to time. Like, what kind of pop culture does he consume? I don't think he does, other than like the news. Like, I don't think he. Well, they use that that Rolling Stones song and uh, during his conventions, right? Like the you can't always get what you want. Mm. Well, right, but that's like his Until... people. I don't think he picked that. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't. <laughs> I just can't. I don't, I don't know. know what just the dot I just, I, I just don't think. I really just don't. I just can't imagine him like. You don't think he's a Who in, fan? I don't think he enjoys anything. <laughs> Something tells like, me he probably really connects with that song. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but I, but but to be, but, but to be honest, like I think we all, I think we all connect with that song. Like I was saying, oh, totally. like as a 16 year old, it spoke to me yeah. because of like the angst of being a teenager, and and I and I, I think that we all, I think we all kind of struggle with that idea of like there's this thing within me that I don't that I don't and I'm I'm becoming something else and I don't know what it is and 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 I'm trying to like. I'm trying to figure it out, but at the same time, I still have to live my life. And so we end up making these mistakes. We end up stepping on ourselves and like, it's not my intention, but it happens. Cool. I don't know. I yeah. think it's, it's universal. Yeah. And it actually, it actually sounds like and like what you're saying sounds to me a little bit like how I misinterpreted coming clean on Dookie JP uh, <laughs> yeah. where I thought it, you know, it's like the mom and dad will never understand what's happening to me. Like I, I always heard that song kind of the same way as, you know, this whole, like, you don't know what it's like to be the bad man, to be the sad man. Um, yeah. you know, and, and, and come to find out, of course, coming clean is about mom and dad. I might be bisexual. Um, but <laughs> we should probably address that. This is the last, uh, music mayhem episode. And you know what you're going to talk about next week. No, we haven't talked about that. <laughs> yeah, we have not. I haven't been looking past Music Mayhem for some reason. I don't know. It's like there's no end to Music Mayhem in my mind. I don't want it to end. I mean, we could just keep it going. <laughs> we just became a music podcast. Music him. <laughs> we yeah, we segue right into a music into a music podcast. That'd be funny. It's just me learning about all these albums that I. <laughs> I will you guys say, listen to the Who. Oh my gosh. I will say that. Um, I would have been nice to have a little bit of genre diversity yeah. in in this. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I think you know Paul Simon and is you know I think there's some difference in in what we've done. I mean, I think I don't think anyone like say like oh they're all the same. I mean, like obviously there's yeah. you know it is like, a bunch of white I, I dudes. Almost, I almost picked um, I almost picked Hamilton. Oh really? <laughs> because because I've been really have you guys have you guys listened to it? Are you familiar? I have. Yeah, I love it. It's an it's incredible. It's really and, good. And I and I and I and I haven't had like a chance to I mean David Romanek and I have talked about it a little bit. Um for our listeners, David Romanek is a is a fellow seminarian of Patrick and I. Yeah. And um who's also like into musicals like in general. And it's it's it is it is it is a work of pure genius. Um it is also very popular, and I do not think that those two things always work together but it's it but it's this i think it's this moment when the zeitgeist clarifies itself around around true genius and it it's it's just it's incredible and i and i want i want to have like an intentional conversation about it with other thoughtful people um because otherwise it's just like ernie and i listen to it like every day we listen to the (laughs) album um 
man, it's I just I love it so much. And she sings along, and I like she's learning history, but it's also fun. It's just a lot of fun. It's a, it's a great it's a great album. That's yeah, a- I have a hard time. I have a hard time listening to like Broadway soundtracks without seeing the play. Like I, I it just something is lost on me in that regard. And I feel like I'm also spoiling it. I don't know. It's just well, something I've never been it, able to do. Like I couldn't even do it with um, Book of Mormon. There's like Mike Angel, another seminarian. He had me listen to like to to um book of mormon while we were driving around dc one day and it was just like yeah i just i feel like i'm missing something like well, I, I don't know that's the fascinating thing about like broadway fandom because there's totally a broadway fandom and it's like all across the country is that people are like obsessed with broadway musicals but they, they'll never get to be able to see never seen it they love, that, that they love yeah like there's there are hamilton fans by the by, the millions oh. in this country. Oh, I know that. I know that. <laughs> they're they're never going to be able to see it. <laughs> it's both sad yeah. and fascinating to me. Yeah, um, but not that that has anything to do with Bob O'Reilly or anything. But I think it'd be <laughs> cool to. I mean, I think you're right, Patrick. I, I think it'd be cool to talk about a play on an episode, um, and just about like I mean, that that culture stuff. That isn't that is an area of sort of fandom we have not covered on yeah. the Masters of Divinity. Yeah. is that mm-hmm. kind of um and yeah because i've got I've, i mean my my christian fellowship group of middle schoolers i mean they're pretty much it's it's a it's like all girls it's like except for poor tristan who's a lacrosse player who comes to it but they're all girls and they're middle school girls and they're all like theater people mm-hmm. and so like i listen to them talk about like hamilton and all and broadway stuff all the time and I mean, I mean, these are kids of means who have the ability to go see these things from, you know, from time to time. Like they will fly up to New York for the weekend just to go see a Broadway play and stuff. Right. Um, but it is it is a fascinating thing to watch and to see and, and to see how dedicated, you know, oh, totally. these people in this stuff. Um, well, guys, that that wraps up Music Mayhem. Um, I'm going to I'm a little a little sad, to be honest. Sad that thanks for a... letting me be part of the ultimate episode. Yeah, thanks for for uh, for making it to the recording session and being present with us to record. <laughs> right, right. Because some members of our of our of our team, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm just not going to say it. It's fine. It's fine. Whatever. Whatever. You know. It, it, you know. Priorities. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Uh, to you, sir. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I just to just to kind of recap, I guess, just for nostalgia's sake. Uh, you know, I had I had a blast talking about Dookie. That sent me down like a, a punk wormhole a little bit. Um, getting schooled in the Beatles in West Palm Beach in front of both Chuck and and Matt. Uh, so I was, uh, you know. You weren't there, Patrick, and audience, uh, but like it, I just had no I so over my head. <laughs> like <laughs> Chuck and Matt are both like have this like encyclopedic knowledge of the Beatles. I'm like, oh, oh that I, I I like the I like that first half of Revolver. The, the half <laughs> I've listened to. Uh, <laughs> uh and then, you know, Graceland was a was a fun, intimate episode, just me and Chuck. Um and uh of course Guardians of the Galaxy was a cool little aside for us. Um and then of course the Who, which I think was was a great band to end on who uh, such a huge lively explosive band um uh if you're in any hip hop fans out there I'm sorry we didn't cover that genre. Yeah, I I actually thought about um a tribe called Quest. Oh yeah. No, oh, that would have been cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I've been listening to them a lot lately. And, um, of course, we could have talked about the Beastie Boys. Yeah. That would have been fun. On the theme of white dudes. Right. <laughs> they finally covered hip-hop, and it's the white guys. <laughs> and uh, it's Toby Mac. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Father Fun, thank you for joining us for the last episode of Music Mayhem. Thanks for having me. And also just thank you for joining us. Uh, We hope to see you more in the future. We would love to have you again. Yeah. I'll I'll, I'll be back for uh, Spider-Man. And I'll be back for Thor Ragnarok. Oh, yeah. Oh, we have to have him on for Thor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's that's one to look forward to, definitely. It's the best best movie in the Marvel Comics universe. Marvel Cinematic Universe. Just the trailer. The trailer for Thor Ragnarok is the best movie. You can you can edit this out, but I also want um, to do an episode after whoever is interested has watched the CW shows for this season. Oh yeah, um, we need, we haven't really covered that the CW shows. Yeah, I need yeah. to. I'm actually really excited to be able to sit down and, and finally watch the Flash for this from the season. Yeah. yeah but the yeah. Flash the Flash was really interesting. We we can stop. Well, we can talk about this after we yeah pause. <laughs> yeah. It. Um, and of course, uh, thank you, Chuck, for being here and uh, for all your insight and wisdom. And thank you. What's that? What's that? What's that? Was that, was that? Was that backhanded? Was that like a backhanded thing? No, I wasn't. I wasn't a backhanded. No, thing. it wasn't at all. God, no one knows what it's like behind blue eyes, man. <laughs> I do because I have blue eyes. You're angsty. And uh, I'm your moderator, JP. Thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful week and good journey. Good journey. Good journey.